Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Fred Kniep. Fred is the founder and CEO of CyberGRX, the world's first global third-party cyber risk management exchange. CyberGRX has raised nearly $100 million from such investors as Bessemer, Google Ventures, and Blackstone. Prior to starting CyberGRX, Fred led the security and compliance departments at Bridgewater and also worked at McKinsey. Fred, thanks so much for joining us. Good to see you, Adam. Would love to hear a little bit about your background. Let's start with with kind of the things before CyberGRX, then we'll talk a little bit about what you're doing today. Sure. As uh, we'll talk about in a minute, so I'm the founder and CEO of CyberGRX. Prior to this, I had, a, a, let's say, a um, non-traditional background as a cyber or a tech uh, CEO. Most recently, I ran security for the, the world's largest hedge fund, uh, Bridgewater Associates. And uh, prior to that, spent years at McKinsey and then uh, was in venture capital and private equity prior to that, kind of working for traditional leverage buyout firms and such. Uh, so kind of all over the place, but uh, ended up falling into security at Bridgewater and then found some real opportunities as I was leaving there to, to get going with CyberGRX. Yeah. So tell us about that. How'd you end up becoming a founder and how'd you end up getting into, into cybersecurity? Uh, it's a good question. So I, um, when I joined Bridgewater, I actually ended up running compliance there for about a year after that, the head of security left and I was named as his successor to kind of step in to run kind of staff, physical and cybersecurity for Bridgewater, uh, of which I had no experience in any of those categories. And which is an interesting thing, but Bridgewater, where I was, is a, a, a unique culture, which was more focused on kind of aggregating capabilities across people. So you can have content experts and management experts, of which apparently I was, and kind of brought that together to, to run that group. And so that was my introduction to cybersecurity. Uh, and that was the area that we really focused on at Bridgewater. And then um, as I kind of continued there, you know, about four years in, I decided I really wanted to go and build my own company. Wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I met the head of security for Blackstone, who had the idea for what became CyberGRX. And so he and I effectively co-founded the business together. That's awesome. What's it been like moving from you know being on the investing and consulting side, which is where all your career was, to actually building, running a company. How's that transition been? Yeah, you learn a lot. <laughs> um, I think a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the hubris of, oh, I know what security needs to be. I can always, we'll just go build something. It'll be quick. Uh, you start to realize there's a lot more that goes into even just the foundations of building a business of, you know, setting up healthcare or determining where you want to be. And then the fact that, oh, wait a minute, it actually takes a lot more to build a technological platform to go forward. So I think there's, there's a lot of that learning. If I went back, you know, seven years ago and kind of talked to myself, I'm not sure I would have done it, honestly. <laughs> it's like there's an element of of that understanding. But I, you know, I look back now and it's just been an incredible learning experience. You have to be resilient and recognize that you're gonna get knocked around a bunch of times. And every assumption, I looked at our our first pitch deck that we put out there, and literally almost none of it is accurate. But it's that kind of okay. Got it. You know, you, you work your way through and you adapt along the way. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, definitely the the founding journey is not for the faint of heart. We were just at an event 
that we hosted recently with Jen Knight, who we've had on the podcast, co-founder of Agent Sync. And she said, analogy she's had heard people use is founding a company is like, you're in a scary movie walking through a grocery store with really creepy music all around, waiting for something to happen. Nothing necessarily is happening. <laughs> you just keep pushing the cart, waiting for all the things, the boxes to fall off the wall. That was a pretty funny analogy. The, um, it's, uh, what was it? The hard thing about hard things. I think one of the best books for founders yep. to read is the opening commentary. It's like when someone asks, you know, what's it like? He's like, oh, I sleep like a baby every night. He's like, I wake up every two hours crying. And it was like, you know, <laughs> that's, that sounds about right. 100%. 100%. If I remember correctly, Fred, too, you started the company in New York and then you moved moved here. Love to hear about that decision and transition and what it's been like building a company here in Colorado versus what you saw in New York. Sure. So uh, you're correct. So I was at, in Westport, Connecticut, just north of New York uh, when we founded CyberGRX. And that's where Bridgewater was. And one of the things, the issues that we had at Bridgewater is we were we're struggling to convince tech talent, let alone cyber talent, to come to Westport, Connecticut. You know, people want to be in New York, or they want to be you know on the coast, or whatever it might be. And um, so, in starting a, a startup, I knew that Westport was not where we were going to be. And so, and then I didn't want to commute an hour and a half to New York every day. So we kind of looked across the country, and at that time. You know, there are areas that were really starting to kind of pop up that have since become kind of, you know, uh, central hubs of, of technology. But at that time, it was still early. And the two places we looked were Austin and, and Denver. And, and there are a variety of other areas, but kind of cost-benefit analysis, et cetera, to kind of led us to those two. Uh, I actually really liked Austin, but my my flight in was delayed and my flight out was delayed. And I was like, I'm going to be on a plane a lot. I don't know if I can do this. Uh, and Denver, you know, some people hate the airport. I love it. It's efficient. It's big. It gets you everywhere you want to go. And I know that's not the only reason to make a decision, but that definitely influenced it. For it sounds like my uh, decision when I was 18 to say where to go to college, I, I remember touring Northwestern and I went there and the weather was really bad. So like not, not even look at this school, <laughs> going to University of Michigan. Okay. Well, I I say, that's an interesting, a funny day. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it, it sounds similar. No, but it, it, and it was also, I mean, there were a lot, a lot of other kind of great trends uh, there. I got to tell you, I mean, it was a really interesting shock for me coming here of how collaborative this environment is. And, uh, and I think that's held true over the last, you know, six or seven years in that, you know, I showed up and literally I was in Denver for a few weeks and, you know, CEOs of other cyber companies had just said, Hey, we heard you moved to town. You want to grab a drink? You want to go get lunch or whatever it is. And, you know, as a New Yorker, my first thought is, okay, what's their angle? Are they trying to mine me for information? Are they trying to do something, you know, highly skeptical? And it turns out people actually just wanted to help. And it was really cool was that there's, there's a, a genuine commitment to helping the Colorado venture ecosystem, but then also cybersecurity. And I'm still very close friends with, uh, with several of the you know, CEOs of local businesses today. And uh, it's, been, it's been a great experience from that standpoint. And I remember, you know, I was in Denver for two two months maybe and Hickenlooper reached out and said, Hey, I'm putting together a cyber thing. Would you like to come, you know, meet with a bunch of people? I was like, What? You know, how is this happening? But it was uh, and so I think that was really fun. And and I think that's been a great experience. And then the last I would say is just hiring the talent you have here. I you know, we've been really lucky with the people we've brought in who one of the reasons we didn't look at San Francisco or elsewhere is I looked at engineers there and they would say, okay, I spent, you know, six weeks at Google, then four months at Amazon, and then two days at Twitter and kind of bounced around. You know, we have people who've been now at CyberDirect five, six years, 
and committed, want to build something driven by passion versus kind of where can I get a quick buck and pop something into an IPO? It's more, hey, I want to go build something I care about. And that's been really fun for our culture. I think a lot of that comes from Colorado or Denver. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We've seen that a bunch of times that just we don't have the same mercenary culture that, that you're talking about and, and don't have the same sharp elbows. I mean, everybody really genuinely wants to see everyone else succeed here and build the ecosystem. And I think we've really built a great ecosystem, particularly cyber. I mean, you see you guys, you've got Red Canary, you've got Optiv, you've got ThreadX. I mean, there's a whole bunch I'm, I'm forgetting to even name that are really making this kind of a cyber a cyber capital. It's great. No, yeah. And yeah, and we're actually, interestingly, uh, Brian and Red Canary are three floors up from us right here. And so it's, uh, we definitely get together. Ping Identity with uh, Andre or Swimlane. Oh, or so, I mean, there's a bunch of great ones along the way. Awesome. Awesome. Any companies here uh, that you're particularly excited about aside from CyberGRX? There are a lot actually, but I'll say one that's really interesting to me is uh, it's much smaller in a completely different space, but I've gotten to know the founder and really appreciate, once again, it's that passion, like vision driven approach. A company called SafeRx, or I think their you know parent name may be Carrying Closures. It literally is driven by personal experience of their founder, Milton, with controlled substances. And uh, and he's created a way to you know have a locking pill bo- uh, bottle that is, you know, 100% safe and can prevent, you know, kids getting in and getting their parents, you know, medications or whatever it might be. And he's, you know, to a typical thing has struggled through and now he's getting some real adoption around the country and it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, exponential growth over the last 12, 18 months. And so it's awesome. Well, definitely a, a good mission too and much, much needed given the opioid crisis and everything else. going. Very cool. Very cool. And then I think it speaks a lot to, you know, Colorado, you've got cyber, you've got physical products like like that company, you've got natural food. We have all kinds of stuff here. So very, very cool to to see some of that cross-pollination. You know, segue into to, to your lesson here. You've got incredible experience, can operate at the highest levels of consulting in, in McKinsey and investing at, at Bridgewater and elsewhere and now founding a company here. You know, if you had to distill it down, what's the biggest lesson that you would say you've learned in your career? Yeah, no, I I spent a, a little bit thinking about this and um I have a lot of lessons that I've learned in particular the last couple of years. The one that really, I think, influences more than anything else, and it's it's probably an unpopular one, is is when to fire someone. And it's something I genuinely sucked at for a long time in my career and probably am still not great at. But uh, you know, if I think about when I was at larger organizations, a lot of times, I mean, there's someone who's underperforming. I think about McKinsey days, you know, they kind of, here's an associate on a deal or, or a project with me, and he or she's not doing great. You typically say, okay, they're all right. I won't work with them again. I'll just move on. And you're a big enough organization that those people kind of float around and they, they'll work their way out over time. But it's even a what, what's often considered a pretty upper out culture. McKinsey people would float through there. Same thing at Bridgewater or elsewhere. When you're at a startup and like you've only got dollars to get you for the next six months, you can't afford to do that. And I think I brought that mindset. And a lot of that honestly came from a fear of confrontation, right? You don't want to go and tell someone they're not good. They're not making it. Humans are naturally averse to that tough conversation. You're going to make someone cry. You're going to influence our life. Let me see if I can give them another chance, et cetera. And, you know, I've come to realize through my career that you're actually hurting them in that process because they're in a role they're probably unhappy in. They're probably struggling and and working through it. And you're keeping them from doing the right thing thing for them in the future, whatever it might be. And you're really hurting your organization and you're hurting all around you. Like not just you, but like other people see that and they say, oh, okay, that person's not performing and they're still here or whatever it might be. Or that person is not following one of our core values and they're still here. And I think that undermines a lot of what you're trying to build. And 
that I, I will tell you there were there's you know one point of the company here there was one person who was pretty senior who carried a lot of customer relationships and carried a lot this person was not operating the way that I wanted them to in the organization you know I was like oh man but we could lose all this revenue and we could lose, and and I'm not sure maybe we'll just figure out how to put them over here or do this and um I lost a lot of credibility in the company and in, in so doing people started to doubt okay yeah we have these values but do we really follow them look this person's not following them and we also were not maturing this this person had limits that you know we kind of hit that threshold point and then as we were getting above their limit the company started to struggle versus okay we got to the next level in the person there and not to say they were a bad it was just they were operating and they were really good at this thing we were moving to the next stage and i i look back on that when i finally let them go i was terrified we didn't lose a single of the customers and it really reinvigorated the culture people came back together etc and that that was that kind of that trigger moment for me, like, I, I can't keep doing this. I can't let these things persist over and over again, which I have done. I can now look back on my career. There are countless times where I've let someone persist when they were underperforming because I was afraid to have that conversation. Or, you know, I had that irrational hope that, well, we could turn this around. There's a way, there's a chance. It's kind of like the dumb and dumber. You're saying there's a chance kind of thing. And so I think that, I mean, that was the, the biggest thing for me. The most powerful pieces of feedback I got through this or guidance came from one of my board members when I was talking to him about this person. And he said, look, simply put, if you're asking the question, you already know the answer. And I think that right there is that I've operated going forward with, you know what, this person in customer success, I, you know, are they really performing? If you're asking the question, they kind of like, you already, you, you know, you've got that gut feeling and the data will show, et cetera. And, uh, and transacting on that faster. Now, I'm not advocating go fire people left and right. Right. But it's a matter of, I bet you any entrepreneur out there, anyone who's starting a business, there is someone on your team today. You're like, I'm not sure they're right. And my strong guidance is to act a little bit faster than you otherwise would make that move. And you know what? Maybe you went a little too early. Maybe you made a mistake, but the cost of making that mistake is so much less than the cost of letting it drag on for you, for your organization, for others. So that to me would be the, the, the key lesson that I would share. I absolutely love that lesson. It's something I've learned myself. I think everybody I know has had to learn <laughs> the hard way because to your point that the natural human biases for for everything you said, avoiding confrontation, right? Giving somebody a second chance, wanting to see the best of people, also not wanting to admit failure of your own and hiring the person, right? Because you put a lot of effort into it. And then there's that fear of, oh my God, this person, you know, might uh, has these important customer relationships or has this unique technical know-how or, or the whole thing is going to fall apart. And it never does in my experience either, right? It, you, everything you're worried about, if you've built a solid organization, it always self-heals and figures it out. And to your point, usually ends up having some some secondary benefits that you never really appreciated in terms of other folks at the company now kind of embracing core values even even more. I, one question I have, and this is something that that I see with, with our founders a lot, Fred, is kind of looking at it differently, whether it's a, a junior person. So let's just say an individual contributor, maybe an SDR, BDR, you know, customer service rep who's early in their career versus somebody who's who's executive level. And, and I think it, oftentimes what I found is it's easier maybe at a junior level to say, hey, this, this person's just like not very good at their job. Whereas an executive level, usually they're pretty confident. They're pretty smart. They come with a lot of credibility and reputation and they're not just good for your organization right now. Right. And, th and that nuance is something that people have to navigate. How have you, you thought about that? 
No, I think you're spot on. And by the way, you said something really important right there is they're not good for your organization right now. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean they're actually not phenomenal at different um, capability set, but it, in a, there's a discipline with hiring that, or, and then in that ongoing evaluation of what do I believe is required for someone to be successful in this role? And does this person have those capabilities, those qualities, those attributes, whatever it is to do so? And that's, it's interesting. I don't think many people actually go through that discipline. It's like, oh, I'm, let me write out a, a job spec and it's, you're going to do these five things, but it's not, hold on, let me really think through what are the key things they're going to do. They're going to have to be adaptable in this. They're going to have to be creative over here. They're going to have to do these things. And do I see that? You know, are they, you know, are you a brand new company? You're scrapping for every new customer you can find, or are you a, a growing scaling company that you need scalable, repeatable processes? Those are fundamentally different people in different capability sets. And so as you think about that, you're, you're spot on. You know, we, we do a lot more today on drafting the kind of core competencies required for a role, junior and senior, uh, to kind of say, okay, is this the person we're going to hire into it? The other part of your question though, on the, you're absolutely right. It is much harder on that senior person because they often come, they've often brought some of their people with them. If you let the head of engineering go, what does that mean? Does that cascade? Is everyone like, oh my God, what's happening here? Versus you let go a you know test engineer over here. And so it's a very different conversation, or at least psychologically, it's a different feeling view on that front. And, you know, I, I agree it is, it is easy. You feel more recoverable, et cetera, for one of many, you know, whatever reps or whatever it is when it's, that's one of my executive team members, or that's one of the people who is, you know, got 30 people reporting to them. And that by the way, is so much more important though, because they're the ones who everyone sees that visibility. They're a leader in the organization that people look up to. And if they are not following your values or they are not performing and people see that and then nothing happens, then they lose confidence in you. 100%. One question I've had have to is on this note, when you're, particularly if you're letting go somebody who's who's relatively senior, do you feel like you've got a good handle on, on what the best way is to communicate that? How transparent are you in that regard? Because it is going to be a highly visible departure, right? And yeah, different organizations have different philosophies on this. Well, a couple of things is one is how transparent are you with uh, with that person there? As I, as I've matured in this aspect, you know, you come to realize most people there are, are professionals. They know this, and they, they don't want you to dance around uh, and kind of be all soft. And it's um, I'm giving a lot of movie references here, but I think it was at Moneyball or whatever it was, where he was asked to go and fire a um a player, and he's paranoid and terrified. So he goes in, he's like, okay, here's it. And the guy's like, okay, thanks. And moving on. It's like, that's business. I get it. And uh, it's the same kind of thing of like, hey, look, you know, whomever, I'm struggling with this. I don't think it's going to work. Let's talk about our path forward. And nine times out of 10 now, people are like, okay, they're probably already there themselves. And now you've made it easier. And now you're going to talk through an easy way, Pat, and, and go versus, you know, dancing around it and like trying to come up with like, oh yeah, you're doing okay. And like, a, just, just be direct. The other thing is be direct with the organization. And, and show that vulnerability of, you know, I struggled with this, you know, it wasn't like, okay, it's done. Let's move on. It's, hey, this was hard for me. I struggle with this. Here's why I thought they could lead this. Here are my concerns. Here's where I'm going. And I've found that if you show that authenticity to your company, they're going to help you fill in those gaps or areas of concern and say, okay, yeah, let's step up and figure this out together. Um, and they also know that it was a thoughtful process and not, you know, you know, Fred woke up one day and he was angry. So he went and fired someone. You know, it's a, okay, there's, there was a real consideration behind this that actually will create even better buy-in. 
I totally agree, right? I think I, I personally think it's the worst when someone just doesn't show up and there's no talk. And yeah. there's a lot of organizations that do that, even at the senior level. And understand that, you know, every once in a while, there's an, a, an occasion why that needs to be necessary from a legal or ethical perspective. But most of the time, you know, there's a there's a better way to handle it. I think that can engender trust um, without within the organization, like like you mentioned. Yeah. Cool. Well, Fred, this is awesome. And again, an important lesson that everybody needs to learn, particularly um, startups. Uh, Love that you brought it up and, and kind of gave some examples. Um, where can folks follow along with what you're up to with CyberGRX? Uh, I mean, great. Thanks for the plug, by the way. CyberGRX.com, our website and our marketing team is prolific with our posts on LinkedIn and elsewhere. So appreciate that. And obviously happy to talk to anyone about the company or honestly, if I can be helpful for any entrepreneur out there, please reach out. Thanks again, Fred. Appreciate it.